A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm doing all right. The weather's good. The sun, well, it's, it's not shining, but it's somewhere behind the clouds, but it's got enough heat to get through the clouds. It's nice and warm here, so I'm doing all right on that, uh, on that basis. How about you? I reckon it is still shining. You know, it's just the clouds that are preventing it. From yeah, I guess that's technically correct. Yes. Yeah. It would be bad if it wasn't. If it stopped shining. Well, I don't know. It'd be good for global warming, I guess. Uh, not good for crops. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. We probably need some sun for life. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm glad you're well. Um, I'm well as well. That's good. Yeah. I, I suppose I, I feel like, do you know that the Champions League final even happened? Are you aware? <laughs> do you know what? I am aware, obviously. I, I chose not to watch it. I turned it on very briefly at one point just to have a look at the score. Mm. And I was treated to the sight of John Stones writhing around on the ground with a, a torn shirt and they showed some replays and they did some close-ups. And my big takeaway from the Champions League final or the entire Champions League season is that John Stones shaves his armpits. Wow. That's the kind of acute observation that could land you a job with The Athletic. <laughs> or indeed BT Sport, I believe. <laughs> um <laughs> We had so yeah, so many questions about this. I, yeah, I really we had a question about that. We had loads, like, um, yeah, or J McCready, who's at Wayland Utini on Twitter, uh, said, "Morning, gents. We've seen journalists returning to talk about the charges against City, contextualizing their triumphs. So why do we see the topic neglected by broadcasters? The Champions League final was the worst twerk job I've ever seen or heard, and there were a couple on the Discord as well." Uh, that I didn't pick out, I, I apologise, but a number of people talking about the coverage on, on BT Sport, um, which I did yeah. not watch, and I presume you did watch. I did watch a fair bit of it. I, I find it very funny that BT have to pay a huge amount of money for the Champions League, Europa rights, um, but then are obliged by law to screen the finals for free. Um so they have to put them out for, for free. I think they're all on YouTube as well. Ah. Yeah. They don't really advertise that or talk about it very much, but I watched it uh, on YouTube. But okay. Yes, it was still the BT coverage. Um, I mean, it was all tricky anyway, because Jake Humphrey was all over it, and I just find his presence quite hard to bear. Um, there's a great thread actually doing the rounds. I, I think that. he's leaving his post of his some of his finest moments, many I, of which just sort of stare offs with a very angry Martin Keogh. I saw. Clearly, I saw it. Of, yeah, yeah. I mean, my really favorite of that, my favorite of that, is the one where he's sort of he's trying to engage in a bit of banter with Keown about being late for one of our yeah. Europa League games, and Keown says, 
Well, somebody threw themselves in front of a train. What was I to do? And then he goes, oh, well, of course, that's uh, terrible in our sympathies. There's another one, I think, which is after Arsenal lost at Goodison Park, maybe, where Keown appears to sort of square up to Jay Humphrey live on television. Um, I think this sort of begins to say as much about Martin Keown as it does about Jake Humphrey, but it's good fun. Mm. Um, Anyway, I did watch it. It was quite sickening. I feel it may have been a slip of the tongue, but at the full-time whistle, the commentator said, uh, the greatest story in club history has an ending. I mean, what the fuck does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I, I hope he means in the club of Manchester, in Manchester City's history, but that wasn't how it came across. Mm. Coming a matter of days after BT crudely repurposed the it's up for grabs now line oh, yeah. uh, in the conference league final did little to endear the channel to me. I'm not doing my chances of a job with BT sport, uh, any favors here down the line, but they, they also, Des Kelly got Ilkay Gundogan to sign his little media armband during an interview, um, which was sort of surreal. I, th- I think I uh, saw they, that he he auctioned that off then for charity or something. We don't want to know about that, Andrew. <laughs> We're get going out of here to... with your facts and your redeeming qualities. Right, of, uh, sorry. BT presenters. I apologise. I take it no, back. Fair play to him for that. I suppose maybe off air would have been a better time, but you know. He, he was caught up in the moment. Yeah. I think they were all sort of caught up in the moment, and it was a fairly uncritical commentary on um, City's ascendance and treble. Mm. I have to be honest and say that I I don't think that's been the widespread media reaction. I've actually been sort of relatively pleasantly surprised by all the think pieces um, that have come out. I, it, um, it's a bit like sort of too little, too late in some respects, but I have seen people trying to, and not just the usual suspects who you can sort of rely on to do this, but people trying to contextualise City's um, triumph and, and what it mm. means in a kind of, on a global political scale as well as a, a football scale. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I suppose the, the best thing you can say about it is that it's, it's probably annoyed the shit out of Manchester United fans. There is that. That was sort of the only slight comfort that that I had um, from it happening. I, you know, I just didn't want to didn't want to watch it. Um, I, I really enjoyed in, in the press conference. Guardiola was asked about the United comparison and treble, and he said, "You know, I received a text message this morning from Sir Alex Ferguson that really, you know, it made me smile." And I thought, I hope it said, fuck you, you fucking bored fucking cunt. Or something like that. It was so, so nice. Um, so nice text message. From so it nice. really made me smile. Um, yes, that was, I guess, a nice thing to have United's, you know, unique historic achievement, mm. which came at our expense, uh, kind of uh, superseded by a, another historic achievement that uh, partially came at our expense. Um, I, I found it, it was very, it was a very surprising game. I thought City would walk it, to be honest, mm. and Inter made a game of it. Um, you know, they, they were in it 
for a long time and uh, Rodri, who was having a terrible game for Man City, was striking after the match in a lot of their post-game interviews. City players were talking about how poorly they'd played and how poorly they individually had played. Mm. Jack Grealish said, you know, I was crap during the game and uh, Rodri was similar. Rodri was awful, scored the goal. And then City was sort of, maybe not clinging on, but Edison made a couple of good saves in the last five minutes to sort Ooh, of the Lukaku miss. Holy cow! Oh man, what a cameo from Lukaku! I mean, another United link there. But not only did he miss, he also blocked a goal-bound shot. Oh uh, god! Pretty much a goal-line clearance. I didn't, um, I didn't see Lukaku. that. Oh my god! Yeah, ay ay ay. So Inter will definitely come away with some uh, regrets. It was a very strange experience watching. I was sort of, you know, I, I really have a sort of acquired a real, uh, fr- from apathy, I've moved to kind of distaste regarding Man City, um, perhaps given the course of events this season. Mm. And I, uh, but I, but I, I do really like footballers. Like I really like, in general, I like footballers and I'm interested in them and I, and, and, and seeing these individuals kind of achieve crowning moments in their careers. I did sort of find, uh, I don't know what's the word. I, I, I admire them. You know, I, I do think like they're great players. And as much as I despise the kind of uh, sports washing agenda of the club, I have to be honest and say, I don't really hold the players accountable for that. Um, I do think, by and large, they're just going to a team who play good football and are paying them a lot of money. Mm. And they probably don't think about it much beyond that. Um, So there was this sort of weird duality of being like, well, they're really good players and, you know, they've achieved their life's dream and they've worked for it for 15 years and good luck to them. That's sort of a, a great moment for them. But at the same time, undercut by sort of the slightly sinister edge to the whole city project yes it was a very odd cocktail of stuff i found yeah i mean it's sort of this is what it's all been about now they have accomplished what they set out to accomplish you know through success and achievement and building you know if i have to step back and be objective a very 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 good football team one that i don't particularly care for uh, I don't really enjoy watching them because there's just sort of an inet an in- uh, I'll try that again an inevitability about most of their games mm-hmm. like that there's no sense of uh, a contest you know which is what makes sport the most interesting thing uh, there is you know the idea that uh, even if there are disparate levels of quality there is a measure of contest in a game or a sporting uh, matchup. And uh, I don't really feel that way about Manchester City. Um, but they are clearly technically a, a very, very good football team. And now uh, I-, I wonder, is it coincidence that now people are talking more about how the project was was made and built and put together uh, because they've they've done the Champions League thing now, they, they've won it. Is it a case that this is just more and more relevant because there are other clubs at it, there are other projects that are going to be put in place, whether it's Newcastle, whether 
uh, it's PSG, you know, that these Manchester things are... United. Be- yeah, Manchester United, potentially. These things are becoming more and more prevalent in, in, in football and in sport. Um, we had a bit of a discussion about this on, on Friday on the Arscast. Uh, and we were talking about the golf thing, you know, that happened last week. And, and Rory McIlroy, of all people, basically just saying, well, you know, what, what can you do? The people who've got the money will will win in the end. And that's what it comes down to. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. And Rory McIlroy is a pretty significant figure in the world of golf. And he is just, you know, a small pawn in, in the way that the money in that game is going to go. So, I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, it is distasteful and it is it is what it is. But I think we're somewhat inured to it now. Um I don't know what you can do about it, Mike. It's happening all across sport, as you say. Yeah, the, uh, the stable door is, you can close it, but the fucking horse is, he's down there. He's yeah. gone. Uh, and, yeah, you mentioned golf. I mean, that was massive, obviously, the story of golf last week. And um, boxing's a sport that's been, you know, heavily influenced by that kind of money. And it's, yeah, it's there's many sports. And, and football continues to evolve accordingly you know we're seeing this influx of talent now to Saudi Arabia mm. uh, ahead of their bid to land the world cup um it's just the way things are moving and things are going but it yeah it yeah. is a bit uh it is a bit sort of depressing I, I, I did you hold out any smidgen of hope that pep might um kind of uh, resign in this press conference and say, I've done it now. No, no, because he's always talking about how, you know, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, and then, you know, gets to the point where he is supposed to stop and he keeps going. Um, I mean, I think at some point he is going to um, leave Man City and all the rest of it. I don't think it'll be soon, but I am interested to see how... um, you know, how they maintain the levels of motivation you need to follow up on a season where you've won the treble. Is there a sense, okay, maybe we have accomplished what we needed to accomplish and uh, it might just take the edge off them a little bit. I don't know, but that could be wishful thinking on, on our part, you know? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I was kind of hoping that might be the case with the Premier League. I think the trouble with Man City is they don't have to look that motivated for mm. the whole season. Like, yeah. they didn't look very motivated until the World Cup and the season just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet their results were still good enough to keep them in in touching distance of the top. And in the second half of the season, when they were motivated and everything did click, mm. they were completely unstoppable. Yeah. Um. So they only have to turn up for half the season to win it, by and large, uh, which is a bit of an issue. Because yeah. it's because it's, they were drifting. You know, they did look like they were drifting in kind of October, November time and then just really got their shit together in a big way. Mm. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll yeah. be very curious to see. I mean, I don't think – I can't think when the last team to win four titles in a row was. I mean, doing three is, is known to be very difficult, I think – Ferguson was the last to do that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe between our titles in 98 and 2002. Um, has has I mean, anyone done... I think, I think he did it again, actually. I think he did it again after that. 
but I don't know if anyone's done four for a long time. There's been some threes. Obviously, you can go back to Huddersfield and Arsenal in the 30s. Liverpool, I imagine, in the in the 80s. Liverpool did two, then Villa, then three. And Man United, Man United, Man United have done three. Man United have done three. And now City have done... Yeah, so nobody's done four as far as I can see. I'm just having nobody's a quick done Nobody's done four for a very, four. very long time. I, th- I don't yeah. think ever. So there you go. They've got that to, to shoot for. I mean, maybe, it, you know, that, I, I think the fact that no one has done four is indicative of something, right? It's because teams have a, a life where they're yeah. at their peak and also because motivation does become more difficult after you reach the highest of highs and... Um, sure, but but also, cha- sorry, I just I just don't think that the there has been an entity like Manchester City before. Like you, no. there's been big clubs and there have been successful clubs, but those those things have been um, built or developed over time organically, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, Whereas there's something quite sterile about Manchester City, like the whole thing is like a bunch of scientists sat down and said, how do we create the perfect football team? You know, from the money, the investment, the 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 backroom staff, the manager, you know, the, the way that they paved the way for, for Guardiola. It was like they were hatching a football egg and now the egg is ready to go, you know? I had that. Well, eggs don't go anywhere. What am I talking about? But you know what I mean? That that city is like, it's sort of artificial. It's alien in a way that none of the other big successful clubs were. Like alien an egg. feels like a great uh, way to characterize it, really. It is kind of like a, a level of um, malevolent intelligence that has kind of invaded sure. our leagues. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would. Yeah, it's, you've got to be cautious of that kind of language, I suppose. But it, it, it's uh, it is interesting, and it is a different kind, different quality of dominance to that which Liverpool and United have shown in the past. But maybe there is some hope to be derived from the fact that these these things do tend to come in threes. Maybe mm. there is some um, something to be drawn from that. I, I I hope so. In a way, had City strolled it as I thought they would, had they won a canter three or four nil. I think the mm. post-match commentary would have been even more kind of framed around the sort of sporting questions that this raises. I think the fact that it was a relatively close game with some dramatic moments kind of um, dampened that a little sure. bit. Sure, I understand. I understand what you're saying. We should move on, though, and talk about the good news that dropped over the weekend – and that is the fact that Arsenal have found an agreement with William Saliba over a new contract, a four-year deal, still to be signed, of course, but the agreement is there, and that is a very, very important renewal. Um, Even if you can take a, a lot from the players that we've already tied down, for reasons that we've discussed on this podcast plenty of times before, This one felt like just a little more complicated and there was a sense of worry, obviously, because, you know, he's going into the final year of his contract. He's a very, very good player. There would have been overtures, I am sure, from big clubs. I know that PSG were definitely interested and you would imagine that via the kind of back channels that that 
that operate in football that, you know, it would have been made known to Saliba that if his contract at Arsenal was to run out, there would be, um, you know, uh, interest from very many big clubs, I think. So on that basis, you can understand why people were worried. Hence, I think this has to be framed as extremely good news for Arsenal uh, and for Arsenal fans. Definitely. I mean, you, you know, Arsenal fans were absolutely united in expressing their joy when David Ornstein uh, broke the story that the agreement was there. I think there's an argument that even though he wasn't a signing last summer, he was kind of potentially one of the signings of the summer, you mm-hmm. know, for us, the way he came in back from his loan. And I think renewing his contract could see him, you know, given that mantle again, potentially. I think it's that important. I think there was that bit of jeopardy um, and to get it over the line as well, like relatively early mm-hmm. in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to not have that kind of lingering and inviting potential bids, giving the club decisions to make. I just think it's great. And I think it sends a real message to our competitors, to Europe, to everyone. Mm-hmm. To have Saliba agreed, I mean, obviously it will be signed and announced in due course to add to Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, um, Saliba's defensive partner, Gabriel, mm-hmm. Aaron, Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale, the plays behind them. Mm. Reese Nelson, you know, is going to sign. I don't think that's necessarily quite in the same bracket, but to have that core of young players, young stars, all locked in for the next few years, mm-hmm. I think is incredibly important. No, I agree. I agree. And I think... You know, we've always said here that while there are definitely or there were reasons to be worried or slightly trepidatious about it, Saliba always looked happy. You know, he looked like a guy who was connected with his teammates, connected with the fans, um, you know, the way he reacted to um, to, to various moments this season. You know, you don't do that unless you're fully bought in, you know, and that kind of gave me... Um, a little bit of comfort, I guess. So I think we probably have to give credit to Edu and to Richard Garlick and the people behind the scenes because contract renewals have been, could you say, an area of weakness? Or, you know, we've had certain situations which which have left us with some residual trauma as a fan base, I think. So mm-hmm. uh, the improvements have been obvious. Definitely. I mean, you know, I've said it many times. There are three parts to Eddie's job, recruitment, retention, and sales. I think recruitment, he made a really positive impression by and large. Retention, you know, sales, sales, there's still that question mark. Retention, there had been a bit of a mm-hmm. question mark, but I think he's done really good work over the last few months. Uh, and I think the squad looks really strong moving forward. Um, I think it's great. I just think it's great news. And I'm delighted because Saliba... He does look happy, but more than that, he looks absolute quality on the Mm. pitch. And obviously, we missed him enormously towards the end of last season. I think Edu and Richard Garlick do deserve credit, but I also think this is about where the club is now. It's easier to get players to sign for Arsenal right now than it has been for some time. And the fact is, you know, we're talking about some of the best young players in Europe here in Saliba, Martinelli, Saka and others. They want to be here. Mm-hmm. And a good deal of our transfer targets 
and you know some of the most prized players in various leagues want to be here. Mm. He might be at Chelsea now, but Mikhailo Mudrik wanted to be here. Uh, he might still be at Brighton, but Caicedo was very clear he wanted to be here. From what we hear and understand, Declan Rice wants to be here. Arsenal has become once more a really, um, a really valuable destination for people for players. They see what we're doing. They see this project. They see the atmosphere, the stadium, everything. They want to be part of it, mm. and it feels like some time since Arsenal had that kind of allure as a calling card. You know, where you could say the name Arsenal to a player, an agent, and their head would turn. But I think. We've really, really re-established that in quite a powerful way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we had a, a question from the Discord from Doozy123. Uh, he said, how helpful are the new contracts for Saliba Saka, etc., when it comes to transfers and uh, attracting new players? Is it now easier for Arsenal to show potential signings they'll be taken care of and paid handsomely for sticking around? Um, or do you think this you know, really has any kind of an impact? I mean, just to sort of answer that, I think it probably makes your life easier when the club is good and when you've secured your best players and you can sell that to potential arrivals, you know? Do yeah. you want to come and play with Saka and Saliba and Odegaard and Martinelli? It's a lot different from, do you want to come and play with Mustafi and co? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it would be far easier uh, for a person trying to do an incoming deal to sell that as a very attractive prospect rather than sort of saying, well, you know, we could really use you to raise the level of the squad because, you know, we're a bit crap at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're a right-sided centre-half who was hoping to play 38 games in the Premier League next season, the Saliba contract might not be good news. But <laughs> generally, um, I think it is, and it shows a club that's moving in a really positive direction. And I think it is important that players feel that they'll be rewarded mm -hmm. you know Gabriel Martinelli he signed his recent contract it wasn't he had quite a long way to go didn't he on his previous yeah. one yeah but ultimately his status in the squad had changed I think Aaron Ramsdale's contract was similarly important in that he only arrived two years ago but the club recognized well you're now performing at a level greater than what we had re rewarded you for before sure and I think it sends a really positive message to the squad that if you perform you will be rewarded and I've seen some comment about the lengths of some of these deals you know Saliba and Saka four-year deals could they have been six seven eight and I think genuinely the, the conversations between agent and player will have been like well listen if we continue to progress and you continue to progress in two years time we will be sitting down to talk again and I yeah. think that the club are realistic that if you've got people whose star is on the rise, unfortunately, you are going to have to talk terms with them every couple of years because if you don't, somebody else will. And mm. I think the club recognise that now. And I think for, for a player in that squad, I think it must be hugely encouraging to think, you know, I'm not just going to sit on my contract. If I do well here, I can be rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's a smart way of doing it, you know? There are all kinds yeah. of ways to motivate people and motivate players. And I think even something like the the Elneny contract, which we talked about a bit, it, it demonstrates that, you know, if you 
put in the work, if you're a good guy, and I don't just mean you give someone a contract because they're a good guy, but you know, if you've been professional and if you've been injured in the line of duty, so to speak, for Arsenal, that there is, uh, you know, there's a, a willingness to take care of you in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think that was absolutely the right thing of the club to do. And um, yeah, I feel very sort of strongly about that, actually. Mm. I, I think like, you know, you've got to stand by your players, particularly when they're hurt and they're probably unlikely to get a contract elsewhere. Yeah. For a player who was really, really popular and like a consummate professional, I think that was definitely the right move. Let me ask you this. Um, I saw some reporting on Reese Nelson's contract. Uh, Five-year or four-year deal um, with an option for another one earning a hundred grand a week with a five million pound signing bonus. Wow. I mean, yeah, I saw that as well. It came from uh, Santi Auna, I think. Yeah. Foot Mercato. I can't comment on if it is true. I don't know. Um, I mean, it would be in line with the kinds of figures we read about as regards Eddie Nketiah mm-hmm. when he renewed his contract in a similar situation last summer. Um, it, it, I think Eddie had sort of, to be honest, maybe had greater first team impact by that point in time than, than Reese still has. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so I do think those numbers are quite striking. If they are correct, I imagine the club are making a similar calculation as they did with Nketiah, which is, you know, we've never paid a transfer fee for their for this player. Um, his contract might be worth X, but if we sell him, you know, potentially we make that money back. Uh, it's still a lot cheaper than buying another winger of his quality, they'll assess. Um, I don't know. What did you make of it? I, I mean, I, I think it's a very, very good deal for Reese Nelson, <laughs> I have to say, yeah. if those are accurate figures. And I know that, that um, you know, maybe 100 grand a week, as ridiculous as it sounds, isn't necessarily the, the sort of the big number it still sounds like, if you know what I mean, yeah. in, the, in the context of Premier League salaries and all the rest of it. Uh, but I think, I think it's a, an amazing deal for him because of just how little he played. Like, he didn't start really many games last season. I know he was injured and all the rest of it, and he did have some valuable contributions, as we know. But in terms of overall playing time, it you know, he really didn't play a, a great deal. So on that basis, I think it's a it's a, an excellent deal for him. But I'm guessing, and it is only guessing, of course, that, you know, you can talk about protecting the value of a player and maybe selling him down the line and all the rest of it, but they, they're they not handing this out as a charity either. No, you're they, absolutely right. They, they must feel like they can wring some value from Reese Nelson on the pitch. It's not just to say, well, in two years' time, we can sell him for X amount of money because we tied him down to, to this contract. So... You know, I think he's still got plenty to prove, plenty to prove. And maybe that is a good thing, you know, in in that he's going to be motivated and um, he's secure, at least in his future, and he understands where his place is in the squad, I think. He's obviously been uh, aware of interest from other clubs where probably, potentially, he could play more than he's going to at Arsenal. 
Um, but Arsenal must, at the same time, see enough in Reese Nelson to to give him those terms and to make him a key part of the the first team squad. I suppose it is an easy way, and I, I'm not saying this to be critical. But when Arteta talked about needing 17 or what did he say? He said you need 22 or 24 players all fit and ready to go at the end of the season. Good luck with that. But you know, it's clear he wants a bigger pool of players to pick from next season. That this is a relatively easy way of of doing that. Yeah, I think you you make a good point there um, because you don't give this out lightly. And, you know, you say he needs, he's got a lot to prove. And I think it's certainly true. He's got a lot to prove to, to you and to me and to the wider fan base. But I do think Mikel Arteta is pretty convinced about his talent. Um, I, I It really sticks in the mind. Do you remember that press conference where he was being asked about his attacking options and they said, you know, you've got Martinelli, you've got Saka, you got Trossard, you got Smith Rowe, and mm. Arteta chimed in and said, "Yeah, and Reese." Um, mm. And it just felt like a moment where it was, he was sort of saying, "Don't forget about this guy." You know, I really think he has a part to play. Um, obviously, the Bournemouth goal will live long in the memory, and some people will probably tell you that alone warrants a new contract. Mm. <laughs> um, but they must be thinking that he's got a part to play next season. Um, and Arteta, you know, I think he's. I think he first encountered Nelson when he was 16, you know, when mm. he was uh, doing his coaching badges with the academy. And I think ever since then, he's kind of had a bit of a soft spot for him as a player. Um, clearly, it's still there. It would be amazing to see him fulfil his undoubted potential at Arsenal. Um, we'll just have to wait and see where those opportunities come. So he'll be 24 at Christmas. So... Mm. It's crunch time for him now, isn't it? It's kind of like he's. It's. It's. I, mean, I feel like we've said this before, but it, it's make or break for him now. I think at Arsenal. I think so. I think so. Um, and hopefully, hopefully he can step up next season. Um, in terms of news, I don't think there's much else happening from an Arsenal perspective. There's a link to Timothy Castagna, the Leicester fullback. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, how aware are you, uh, if at all, of interest in him? Um, and, and what do you make of it? I, I think it's one of those where it's kind of a functional signing, if that makes sense, where if you're going to spend big, big money on, on key positions, when you're looking to add more depth in the defensive part of your team, something like this, a guy who's 27, he's got lots of Premier League experience, which we know Arteta likes, international experience with Belgium as well. It, it, it makes sense on that basis, doesn't it? Because it's probably a fairly affordable deal. Yeah. I, do you know what? It's I'm quite enjoying the summer because, as I say, I'm on, I'm on paternity leave from the Athletic. And ordinarily in a case like this, if I wasn't already across it, I'd see this link and I'd be obliged to kind of <clears throat> hurriedly contact people on every end of the deal and try and find out the veracity mm. and basically be a pest people uh, saying can you talk to this journalist when all you really want to do is get on with your actual job um and so it's quite nice just sort of seeing a link and being like hmm, i wonder if that's true and uh <laughs> not having to uh worry about it um and the bits and pieces i am hearing are sort of coming to me more organically if that makes any sense um i don't know if this is true but i can i can well believe it actually um i sort of think a kind of Cedric 2.0. It sounds a bit um, mm. 
uninspiring describing it in that way. But, you know, he's Belgian international, played in the World Cup, can genuinely play both sides, right back and left back, pretty effectively. Experienced 27, relegated club, so potentially mm. you might get a knockdown on the fee. Um, Premier League player, well, admittedly didn't have a great season like it, like the rest of his teammates, but playing in a bit of a basket case of a, a club last year. Um, I find it plausible. Mm. I know that, you know, we've, we've discussed that fullback is an area of focus. I think Belgium as well has been a bit of a happy, well, certainly a hunting ground for this Arsenal recruitment team. Like there've been a lot of connections there. Um, if you look at it, I mean, Sambi, of course, coming out of Anderlecht, Trossard, who's played at Genk under Stuvenberg. Um, I think Mikel is quite connected with Roberto Martinez, who was obviously, you know, had his time as a Belgian manager. Mm. Um, Stuvenberg himself has, has worked extensively in that country. I think, you know, there are connections there. So I do find it plausible. I've seen a few Arsenal fans uh, really unhappy about it but I, it, I don't think it's a deal where he'd be coming in to play week in week out sure know? sure uh, I, I don't think so either and I think you know you do have to maybe adjust your expectations as to the level of certain players that you're going to bring in if there are designs to bring in a couple of big players Rice and whoever else then you do have to cut your cloth a little bit Unless you're a club like Manchester City, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it can go either way. You know, I, I mentioned the Cedric signing, and I think by and large, people aren't, you know, weren't entirely happy with how that one panned out. But mm. then, you know, Jorginho came in in January and I think by and large did very well. So sometimes you can pick up a Premier League player who's kind of ready to plug and play. And uh, I think it can be quite beneficial. It's just... You know, if if they believe in the player, I think for the most part their talent identification and recruitment has been sufficiently good that I'm prepared to sort of um, sure. What's what's the word? Uh, have some faith. Have some faith. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Here's the bit of the podcast where I'm sure over the weekend, James, you have been you know, studying both the Arsenal squad, the transfer market in in real depth. And <laughs> you've come up with your predictions for what we're going to do in the transfer market this summer. I, either that, Andrew, or I've just remembered this um, feature. It's one of those two things. Is it indeed one of those two things? It, it, I struggle to figure out exactly which one it is. And mm. I'm, I'm just going to make this clear. I certainly was not reminded of it by somebody in the Discord. That did not happen. I, shortly before we recorded. Shortly before we recorded, I I absolutely did not uh, look at a message from Mr. Rightside who said, Goodly morning, not so much a question, but a reminder that we haven't forgotten about the transfer predictor Tron promise. So that did okay. not happen. Okay. Okay, it's good to know that. So uh and, and just just as well, if it sounds like I'm making shit up as I go along, that's just the way it is with podcasts. You've got to be sort of conversational and let it flow. You don't want it. You don't want it to sound too scripted. You know, hundred percent. So let's let's start with with sales. Let's see what we think we're going to generate via sales. Um, okay, and we'll have a look at some of the 
the the obvious candidates for that. First one, Kieran Tierney. W- what do you think we're going to get for Kieran Tierney? Well, we've had this debate. Yeah, I know, times. but you know, let's let's put your money I'll, I'll where say, your mouth is. I'll say thirty-five for me. Thirty-five million. Okay, I'm going to go for. I think we'll thirty-two million. That's what I think. Hang on, you were asking for fifty the other week. I know. I'm not saying what I wouldn't ask for. I'm saying what I think we'll get. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Okay, okay. Um, all right. Are you keeping tally of these? I am. I've actually got a Google spreadsheet here. Uh, let me just uh, ask cast extra transfer predicty predicty thingy. Okay, great. So that's Kieran Tierney. On his bike. On his bike. We, we know about Pablo Marie, don't we? Oh, yes, actually. Yeah, it's six million. Isn't that right? Pablo. Uh, yeah, five to six million euros. Um, well, let's call it five million pounds then, just to sort of... Oh, it's six million, apparently, according oh, to right. reports. Let's say six million sterling. Okay, so six million. We've got that uh, already. I think we could let Rob Holding go this summer. Okay. And I think we would get 12 million. Okay. I'm going to say that Rob will stay. Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe he won't. But you know how I always say, like, they don't all leave. You think they're all going to leave? They don't all leave. I feel like he might be one who. Okay. Okay. Um, Granite Xhaka. We sort of know what's happening there, don't we? In can, that, I, can I just say, yes. I think Granite Xhaka is going a bit cheap from what I'm reading. Yeah, what is it, like 13 million? That's the report. Mm. Well, you can't buy anything for that. He's just torn it up in the Premier League. I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah, I doubt it. From all the reporting, it won't be over 15. But I, do you feel like that's an absolute bargain? I don't I do. see what I would need to know or understand better is the financial might or otherwise of Bayer Leverkusen, what sort of uh, what, what sort yeah. of transfer fees do they normally pay? Do they go big? Are they, you know, a... I don't know. We need Lewis Ambrose to tell us about what's happening in Germany. Because nobody has any money apart from uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, who are going to have a fucking shit ton of money as soon as they sell um, Bellingham. Jude Bellingham. So let me yeah. just have a look I mean, at this. There's some transfers. talk about Bayern looking at Shaka, but I don't. I th- think that might not be the case. No. Um, I mean, I'm looking here. Last summer, their big outlay was 13 million euros. Yeah. Um, the summer before, 23. On Kosunu, yeah. They're, listen, they're not huge. 26 million euros on Patrick Schick from Roma. They're not big, but they sold Kai Havertz for eighty million that summer. So yeah. that was a bit different. I mean, they yeah, they tend to sell higher than they buy. Leon Bailey went to Villa for big money. Brand Leno. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's say it's thirteen for Shaka. But I'm just saying. I don't know. Part of me feels like that's that's not great. I, I think we yeah. He's I worth know he's 30 more. And all these things. I think he is worth more. I definitely I think he's, he's worth more. Um. Right, who else could go? Cedric, I think Cedric will go for. A, I think he'll go, but I don't for think for we'll no get million. Yeah, same. 
zero millions for Cedric, uh, along with a carriage clock and a gold watch. Nuno Tavares. Do you think Nuno Tavares will go? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think he will. What do you think we will get for him? No, no. Seven million, maybe. Okay. And that's what we paid, so we're getting our money back. Yeah, I'll go for that. What about you? I think he might be a loney. I think he yeah, might. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I think he might but, be a loney. Uh, Austin Trusty. I think. Birmingham are going to want to buy him, but they can't afford it, presumably. I think he'll probably leave on loan again. I think the reasons he was brought to the club are sort of still the same, you know. So I think he'll loan again. Was it? I mean, but was, wasn't the idea of bringing him to the club, you know, to put him on loan and therefore sell him and make some money? Was that not partly about that? But I also think it was as much to do with like the relationship with America and the other KSC clubs. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downplaying his ability or anything. I think mm. he, he can play and they picked him for a reason, but I think there was a sort of sense of like, this is something we want to do to kind of mm. bring a sort of a sense of continuity across the franchises. And wow, what a horrible phrase that was. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think he'll be loaned to a higher level. Loan to a higher level than the championship. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll sell him for four million pounds. Okay, that would be good. Yeah. Um, Albert Sambi Lakonga. Loan, I think. I don't think he's done enough. Unless Burnley buy him, I can't see anyone else buying him. Same. I think it'll be a loan. I think it might even be a loan, even if it's Burnley. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a contract till 2026, exactly. so they might Loan just take their bets. Maybe. Um, Pepe? I think he will absolutely go, but I am guessing zero million for Nicolas Pepe. I don't yeah. know who would pay. I don't know who's going to pay for him. I mean, you might get like a five million deal, but I guess one of the impediments to him going anywhere this summer is the, the the wages that he would be on would probably be outside the remit of any club that might be interested in him right now. I'm going to put 5 million and I don't know what form that will come in. Do you know what I mean? Like it might be a fee. It might be mm. like a buyout. It might be um, a, a loan, expensive loan fee or something to take over the final year as contract. I think we will get, some money in for him, and I think he will go. So I'll stick down five, five million. A very optimistic five million. Okay, um, Charlie Patino. He wants to go. What do you think we'll get for Charlie Patino? I've got no idea. Me either. I was thinking Patino about this. Right? I, you know, could talk myself into anything from two to nine million or something, but I think probably two with clauses. Two with clauses. Hmm. I'll go a bit higher than that. Okay. I'll go five with clauses. Okay. Um, Flo Balagoon. Mad prediction transfer values, isn't it? Because, like, is. you, you know, before it could just be Mudrick 100 million. 
or Shaka 13. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it, it, it all depends who's buying, what the competition is like. Yeah. Um, Balogun. So my thinking here is that Arsenal could and maybe should do a deal which has a slightly lower fee, but slightly more in the back end for us. Um, do so, you, you mean know, like buyback or...? Buyback, sell on. I, I think that's maybe, you know, the sort of what you have to factor in. So I think he'll go for... I don't know. Oh, I've got all sorts of numbers in my head. Maybe like 29 million. 29 million pounds. Yeah. That's that's impressive. Um I think that's a lot. Maybe that is a lot actually. I mean I would say 22. Can I change mine to 25 because that's yes. what I that's what I thought first, and then I imagined people shouting at me on the internet. Mm. But again, with clauses, with clauses. With clauses, yeah. Mm. I'm trying to think. If there was a player in Liga who'd scored that many goals, I feel like they'd go for more than that. Famously, we bought Pepe for £72 million. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yes, fool me once and all that. Um I've changed my mind. I'm going to go up to 30 on Balogun. Okay. 30. Final answer. Final answer. 30. Da -da -da. 30. And I'm still at 22. Should I revise upwards? No, I think I think that yours is quite realistic with, with a decent sell-on. Mm. Is there then anybody else who you see departing that we could inflict? You've not done Runnison, I notice. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think he will go, yes. Hmm. Mm. Um, um, I don't okay. think he will add to the tally. Let me say this, that I think there could be a mystery sale yeah. of around £31 million. Wow. But I don't know who it is. And oh, Nobody well. asked me. I don't have any information. I just think that there might be a player that goes for a reasonable amount of money uh, but we don't know anything about it yet. Can I just throw a couple of names at you? Sure. Um, Jorginho, do you give any credence to those reports from Italy? Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know the source of them well enough to say whether they're reliable, but it's one of those that makes a fair amount of sense, doesn't it? Because, uh, because of his connection with Sari and all the rest. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be overly surprised if that one happened, but it won't be for 31 million. Yes, that's fair enough. Um, what about, I mean, could it be Thomas Partey? Could be, could be. I, I haven't got him in my list, but I do have a feeling that, you know, he, we've spoken about it, that, that he could join Granit Xhaka. Mm. Um, Okay, well, yeah, I, I, no, I'm not going to have... Am I going to have the mystery departure for 31 million? No, I'm not. I'm not going... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going to not have it. Okay. So that means totalizers, please. Oh, do you want me to uh, tot it up here? 
So yeah. you are predicting 35... There's probably a button you can press, is there? <laughs> probably, but I don't know how spreadsheet... Um, oh you know uh, mechanics work i just put the numbers in the little bits and then add them up manually like a idiot what could go wrong what could go wrong so 35 plus 6 plus 13 plus 0 plus 7 plus 5 plus 5 plus 30 you've got us bringing in 101 million which you know when I say that out loud based on what we've done in the not too distant past sounds absolutely absurd Hang on, I, I, I've got that number as 111 when I asked a computer to add it up, so... Really? Yeah. So hang on. Is that right? 35 for Tierney. Oh, yeah. Six for Pablo Marie. That's uh -huh. 41. 13. Uh, 13 is 44, 54. Yeah. Seven for Nuno Tavares. Yeah. Is 61. Yeah. Plus 40. 10. For Pepe and Patino. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And then 30 makes 101. Oh, I put 40 instead of 30. That was my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and people say AI is going to take over. How can it? Can't it, even. It can't computers even. can't even correct my mistakes. Yeah, 101. So I've got... Let me see what I've got here. I've You're going to have more than me. You realise that. I know, which is e even more absurd. So we I've do got, this every uh, every summer, Andrew. We think we're going to actually sell players. And it never happens. We're fools. Maybe we're the problem. Maybe we should stop. Maybe we should just say, we're not going to get anything for anyone, all right? <laughs> That's it. So I've got... You've I've, got us bringing in 400 million. I've got syntax error. That's what I've got. 91. <laughs> I've got... Is this good radio? Yeah. I've got 91 million without my mystery sale. And with my mystery sta uh, sale, I've got 122 million. Okay. So, I'm going to say now we're both wrong. <laughs> I feel confident in predicting that, yes, that we are, that we are both going to be wrong here. Yeah, okay. Um, it's a nice idea, though, isn't it? It is. Let's not do it in such detail when it comes to incomings, just give me your grand total on what we're going to spend, our gross outlay on players Okay, this, this I, I am going to break it down very quickly, right? I'm going to say 90 million on Declan Rice. Yeah. Right? I'm going to say 20 million each on a pair of fullbacks. Okay. Maybe one can play centre-half as well. I don't know. Two defenders. I'm going to say... Uh, 40 million on another central midfield player that isn't Caicedo, in my opinion. Ooh. And another 40 on an attacker. Okay. So that's 80 plus 90. It's 210 is million is what you've predicted there. Is it? Well, yeah, 90 plus 20 is 110, plus another 20 is 130, plus 40 is 170, and you've just said another 40 then on top of that for an attacker, which That's is 210 money, million. But That's if you're bringing in 101, it's it's hardly anything. Um, 210 million. I'm going to say... <sighs> this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 230. Really? How mm. many could, could we get some a breakdown on no. how many players you think? No. Okay. No. I'm not prepared to divulge that information at this point. No, I think we will 
I think we will bring in two central midfielders. I think we'll bring in one more defender. Right. And I think we'll bring in another attacker of some kind, whether it's a striker or a winger, I'm not quite sure. You're forgetting something, Andrew. What? How much Mikel Arteta loves signing defenders. Mm. You don't remember the summer when everyone was like, we need a centre forward, we need a, a playmaker. And he immediately spent £50 million on Ben White when we had William Saliba and everyone lost their mind. I think he he's, loves defenders. I think he's he's coming close to completing his collection of defenders, though. He'll never complete the collection. <laughs> defenders are like Pokemon. He's got to catch them all. I Yeah, I think it's... Listen, I think that's not unreasonable to think that we might spend £200 million in the market. Mm. Is it? I feel like we nearly did that, you know, a couple of summers ago. Or I'm something. sure we did. I'm sure we did. Um, maybe the summer of... fifty or so. Uh, Arsenal transfer history. Here we go. You know, when everyone was shouting about how we were the biggest spenders in the market, um, I, you know, it was... The summer uh, of, of... So, yeah. I mean, last summer and January, so across the course of last season, we spent... According to transfer marked 192 million. Mm-hmm. The summer before that, the Ben White summer, 167. Now, bear in mind, in neither of these summers were we in the Champions League mm. or bringing in 100 million pounds in sales. Exactly. What I would say is we probably are in the right sort of ballpark in terms of the expenditure based on previous experience we've probably overestimated both who we will be able to sell and how much we will get for, for sure for sure but you know let's let's just have this as a sort of a challenge for Edu and Richard Garlick and all of them this should be their challenge someone post this yeah. up on the hybrid house that up stress on the room. office wall exactly this is what they said on that podcast see if you can yeah. do it we'll time you we'll time you <laughs> Um, well, look, time will time will tell as to how wrong or right we both are. Um, Lana's getting very upset out the back there. Probably magpies. Mm. Um, yeah, time will tell. But we have a, a digital record of it now, so no longer has this been scribbled down on a pad in my office and then lost within a couple of days. It's here, and we can revisit that when the window closes. When it, sorry, when it slams shut in September, how about and guys, that? Guys, re- reply to if you you know see the podcast tweet on Twitter or elsewhere. Well, no, probably be on Twitter if it's a tweet. Um, <laughs> reply with your predictions, and then you know in a few months' time you can come back and crow about how you were right and we were so dumb, mm. as we inevitably will be. Maybe we should have a prize for whoever gets the closest. If they get the exact numbers, yeah. With clauses. Then they win that sum of money yeah. combined. <laughs> Deal? Uh, let me have a think about that one. Take it out of the patron. <laughs> All right. Will we take a break? We'll do some questions. We've got to do some questions because this, of course, is an Arscast Extra. So let's take a little break here. We'll fly through as many questions as we can in part two right after this. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, would you like to go first? Um, no. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. No, I, 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 you go first, Andrew. Go on. All right. Uh, After you, sir. All right. Wise Marklar says, what are your expectations? Wait, wait, wait. I forgot. I forgot. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this still needs some work. <laughs> it's It's happening so organically. It's just like just taking off you know yeah yeah yeah. everyone was sitting there waiting for it and then they were going oh people keep sending me photos of tattoos they've got that say let's do this no way incredible really yeah no of course not (laughs) (laughs) right if someone out there gets a tattoo that says let's do this you win the 200 million okay I feel so stupid now. I can't continue with the podcast. I, 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 uh, the fact that you thought that was true is so incredible. It makes me think you must really believe in let's do this as a catchphrase. You must think people love it. I, I just got it tattooed on me last week. <laughs> <laughs> now you're too embarrassed to share. To I can't. Say. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're sending you any pictures. Yeah, it's all. It's a huge tattoo all across your shoulders. Um, okay, go on then. Ask me a question. Let's do this. Then. <laughs> Let's do this. Wise Mark Lair says, "What are your expectations for us in the Champions League next season?" I know it sounds a bit much, but I'm personally hoping for a semi-final appearance, uh, appearance, providing we don't get a ridiculously hard draw. What part are we going to be in? Is that two. known yet? Two. Okay. That's not too bad, is it? I mean, it's better than four. Sure. I think there was some talk that we might have gone into three. So Right. I, I'm happy with part I two. I think it's to do with somebody else doing something, and then because of that, uh, it changed for somebody else, and therefore we are then in part two. But that's the technical answer. I just didn't want to blindside people with too much information, you know? Which means that we will... Uh, draw. I mean, Pot One's got some interesting teams in it. We will draw one of um, Ma- uh, Sevilla, Barcelona, Napoli, Bayern Munich, PSG, Benfica, or Feyenoord. That's Pot One. Uh, so it's going to be fucking Bayern Munich, isn't it? Jesus Christ! Obviously, it's going to be Bayern Munich. But you know, you'd be quite happy if it was Feyenoord or Benfica or Sevilla, wouldn't you? You would. You would. Uh, uh, or even. 
PSG because they're absolutely shite in the Champions League. So Pots three and four are still to be sort of finalised because obviously there's qualifications uh, to come. Mm. Um, a few, you know, AC Milan are in pot three, for example. Um, Red Star, Belgrade, Shakhtar Donetsk, Lazio. Sure. Pot four, Celtic, Newcastle, Union Berlin. Newcastle. It does look weird seeing Newcastle in the Champions League again. It does, yeah. Uh, I think... I think given we're in pot two, we should we should be we should be getting out of the group, really. Mm-hmm. I think we should. Um I th- I think semi finals would be uh I don't think it's I don't think it's unrealistic necessarily. Premier League's a very strong league and we're one of the strongest teams in that league. Um I might say quarterfinals for me. Uh, I think is about what I imagine. But, you know, it's a cup competition. It so much depends on the draw. Mm. It's sort of hard to know. I certainly expect us to get into the knockouts. Um, Yeah, and I would like to see us reach at least the quarterfinals. What about you? Yeah, I think that's about... I mean, obviously, I'd like to see us go much further than that. But I think our first tilt back at the Champions League after so many years out of it... You know, with the demands then of Premier League and Champions League uh, that we're going to have to deal with and understand and come to terms with physically and mentally, that schedule is quite demanding, I think. So if we got to quarterfinals, I think that would be that would be pretty decent. But of course, uh, you know, how you view your exit from a cup competition, uh, you know, you can't really predict how you're going to feel about it. You might say now, well, going out in the quarterfinals, yeah, that'd be pretty decent. But if you go out in the quarterfinals having won the first leg 3-0 and then get beaten 4-3 in the second leg, you know, it's going to color your opinion of that. But, you know, just as a guideline, as a marker, I think that wouldn't be a bad uh, aim anyway. I am fascinated to see how we do because, you know, Mikel Arteta's record in Europe is is mm. patchy at best. You know, I, I think he's had a couple of fairly um unimpressive exits uh so i think he's got something to prove and, and obviously the champions league is a different caliber of competition as well first time for him first time for a lot of these players mm. uh yeah i i think and i think that there probably is an adjustment a period of learning to go with that i mean look how long it took man city to win the bloody thing with mm. all the advantages they've got um, and with Guardiola at the helm. So I'm not expecting us to go into it and, you know, win it. But yeah. I think we, I, I want to see us give a good account of ourselves, certainly. Um, what about this question? We had a couple of questions along this line. Matt Taylor, who's at AFC Matt 09, says, Goodly sunny day to you, gents. With the club tying down our star players to long-term deals, do you think we should be tying down our tetter to a new deal? His current contract expires in 2025, and we know that Barca and Madrid are interested in him. And then Ali Wood, Ali Boy, 82, said, Goodly morning. Reports coming out this morning. Pep is likely to leave City when his contract expires in 2025. This coincides exactly with when Arteta's contract with us currently expires. Are you concerned? No, not concerned. Um, I can see how people might put two and two together there and come up with four. Um, I mean... I think there is a slight difference with manager contracts 
in that things can change for a manager very, very quickly, you know, in a way that they don't usually with a player unless they absolutely plummet um, themselves into insignificance. But- That's true. I mean, for a start, managers can move at any time, mm. uh, not just within windows. And it is departures, resignations, sackings that mm. precipitate movement, really. Yeah. That those environments yeah managers very rarely tend to leave of their own volition you know yeah they they get moved on um so no i'm not that worried about arteta's contract yet uh, i think if our trajectory continues if the if the job and the work that he's doing is and it, you know it feels to me anyway uh, i can't speak for him but i'm guessing that this will have been despite the disappointment quite a fulfilling season for him you know to have seen his team improve in the way that they did individually collectively that must be very fulfilling when you're a coach when you're a manager because that's what the job is all about right mm. so i feel like as long as the work is fulfilling to him and he feels like he still has places to go and things to do and things he wants to achieve i don't worry too much about him um I mean, I think the lure of Barcelona will be something we have to contend with down the line at some point, maybe. Um, then again, it might just be a question of timing where, you know, his time at Arsenal comes to an end and the job at Barcelona is open at some point where, where he can step into it. I, you know, but I don't really worry about about him going to City to replace Guardiola. Not now, anyway. Um, no, I, I mean he signed his last contract uh, just over a year ago, didn't he, Mikel? Mm. Um, with Jonas Idaval. Uh I, 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 you know, I think it would be quite swift for the club to be giving him another one. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if those conversations start before too long. Um, you know, he. he he continues to impress and I think he is going to be a pretty prized manager in Europe. So I think it's something the club should be attentive to. Mm. I would imagine the contract he signed um, last spring included some sort of bonus or uplift for Arsenal qualifying for the Champions League. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very possible that he's had a pay rise this summer um, effectively, which obviously helps. But yeah, I, I think... I think if you've got a manager that other people are going to want, um, mm. then you need to tie them down. But the reality is that it's borderline impossible to keep a manager who decides they want to go. Anyway, you know, like same with a player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think even more difficult with the manager because the buyout of the contract is usually the compensation is usually so much more attainable. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think we can we can get him to sign another contract at some point in time. But ultimately, as long as he's happy and fulfilled at Arsenal and feels his ambitions can be met, then I think we're all good. If he decides he wants to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid or Man City, the contract we have with him probably isn't going to stop him yeah. in that case. That's true. That's true. Okay, here's a question from... Van Pike on the Discord. He said, despite the public announcement, I still believe Arsenal would sell Emile Smith-Rowe at the right price. Do you both really believe the club or are they trying to retain value in the player? 
Interesting question. And one I've sort of seen posited elsewhere. I think there was a link this week with West Ham, potentially, um, that I saw on social media. A couple of people asked me about. I do believe the club's position. I think... I think that what they asked, what they said is not something they put out as an announcement or a piece of PR. They had a private meeting with the players camp and communicated that to them. And that information subsequently came out of our other sources. I just think in that scenario, you're going to be honest with a player most likely. Mm. Now I don't think it precludes if the player is really determined to go, and it's like, I'm not happy. I want to leave. I understand you want to keep me, but I'm going to push and push and push to go. As we were just saying, a player's will often can be decisive. But I don't think Emil Smith-Rowe, well, I wouldn't describe him as happy with last season. I don't think he's quite in that, at the other end of the spectrum, where he's going to fight to get out of Arsenal. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think it feels like, the slate has been wiped clean a little bit. And I'm not saying he's in last chance saloon or anything like that. But I think if he has another indifferent season, then the club's willingness to to retain him or his willingness to stay will be, will be tested. But yeah. I think this time around, we're trying to build something. I don't know why he would want to leave, you know, unless there's some sort of irreparable breakdown in a relationship. That doesn't seem to be the case. Um, you know, he's going to have a chance in preseason. He's going to have a chance to, to show what he's made of. And, uh, you know, this might be, um, as we were trying to find explanations for how little he was used, it might be just something as simple as this is Mikel Arteta's way of really, really challenging Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, yeah. That said, if someone came in with big money, I'm sure it would be tempting, but uh, I don't think they're actively um, trying to sell him or anything like that. Well, wouldn't this be the worst time to sell him as well, yeah. in some respects? Like, yeah. I, I just think his stock's not particularly high right now. So I think let's rehabilitate him a bit, get him involved, play some games, score some goals. If it then doesn't work out, at least we're selling him with a more appropriate value than right now, where I'd say his sure. value is probably, you know, substantially lower than it was 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, <laughs> have you seen all the uh, chat about Arsenal's players getting hitched? Um, there's been a lot of weddings in of late. So Gold's at 73. says, with the recent spate of Arsenal players and staff getting married uh, and he uh, and having babies, and he cites uh, White, Gabrielle, Ramsdale, Kivior. Um, do you think this will make them feel more at home at Arsenal? I've seen people sort of suggesting that, you know, this is kind of like what Fergie used to do, convince his young stars to settle down early so he could keep them focused on their football for the next five years. I do you mean, think there's anything to that? No, that's just bollocks, isn't it? Really? <laughs> I mean, you think Mikel Arteta's in his fucking in his office at London Colney, and he's like, "Right, line up outside, boys. I want to have a word with all of you. You have to get married. Yeah, you must get Impregnate married. Impregnate someone immediately. Yes, you must have a baby and get married because you know uh, 
that, that will keep you on the straight and narrow. I mean, fuck's sake. I don't really, I think it's, you know, a case that they are, I don't know, young men, successful young men, and um, a lot of people, footballers or otherwise, get married in their 20s, right? Mm. Um, have children. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the idea that this is some sort of Arteta master plan is just absolute shite. I'm sorry. Well, uh, I think it is an Arteta master plan. Do you think uh, he's... about it in The Athletic. No, no, I don't. <laughs> do you think uh, Arteta's yeah, think got it... his own boat in his back garden and as captain of a ship, he can do all the fucking weddings himself? Then, you know, get the barbecue on. Edu on the barbecue. Yeah, no. What a load of I, shit. I'm sorry. Uh, well, listen, I congratulate them all on their good yeah, news. Yeah, exactly. Um, Congratulations. Well done. Happy lives together. I hope, I, hope, uh, I hope they all have tremendous happy lives with their wives and their children and as families and all the rest of it. But this idea, you know, that it's an edict or a deliberate ploy from Arteta, I just don't think that's uh, it doesn't make any sense i think that um the idea that it's some sort of uh managerial masterstroke uh is is a little far-fetched but and i think to be fair has been suggested with a bit of tongue-in-cheek right but but i think that um i do think it's it, it is prob possibly a positive possibly a positive that that you know these players well it's not that it's a positive What's happening is we've got a group of young players who are like a certain age, 23, 24, where a lot of footballers do, you know, get married and start families quite young. And they are entering a new phase of their lives. And for a lot of them, it coincides with committing their futures to the club as well. And I just basically think that what that's telling you is a story about a club that sort of, moving into an era do you know what i mean that like this collection of people are putting down some roots for the next few years both in their professional and personal lives and there's a commitment there yeah i think and that's I think, fair i think that's a yeah. i think that's a fair observation based on what's happening but just the idea that you know uh Mikel arteta is getting all his players to get married so they'll settle down and you know like rich young men um i mean yeah i just i don't like that aspect of it or that suggestion tongue-in-cheek uh as it might be i i just think it's nonsense but it it probably does speak to how settled they feel um that this is a place where they do want to start a family and i don't mean that they're all going to start their family on you know the arsenal training ground or anything like that but <laughs> do you see that the picture pablo crash. marie posted yesterday Yes, on his Instagram, uh, somebody sent that to us as well. That it was extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, and then Silvio Berlusconi died. Do you think Berlusconi well, was just attack, I imagine, yeah, exactly seeing... just opened up his Instagram? Was like, <gasps> <laughs> you know, it occurs to me that in Pablo Marie and Granite Shaka, we are potentially losing two of our most handsome players. Um, is this something we need to address in the transfer market? Do we need to do our predictions again? We've got Ben White. It's fine. We've got oh, Ben White true. in his beach gear, his beach cravat. Did you see you, that? He's going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, he sure is. On the looks front. Okay, here's a question from Timorous Me. 
And he says, goodly summer morning, gents. I think we can all agree. This is slightly related to this. He said, I think we can all agree that one of the best things that has made this group so fun to cheer for is that almost across the board, everyone seems to be of high character, sort of a no pricks policy like my baseball team, the Giants, have been employing recently. I don't know enough about baseball to comment on that side of things. He said, this seems great for a happy workplace and all, but do you think there's a benefit to, ha to actually having a couple of pricks in the room and on the pitch? Especially without Xhaka, who I think he is calling a prick um, inadvertently here, or maybe advertently. He said, could we, uh, could we be too nice for our own good? Do you know what? I think we have got quite a few pricks. <laughs> and I say that with love. Like, I, I love Ben White, I, but he's a bit of a prick, Like I think. I mean, if he wasn't playing for us, he's one of those guys where you'd be like, nah, not, not having him. Not that guy. You not know what I mean? Him. And, like, if, if Aaron Ramsdale doesn't play for you, I think you probably think he's a prick. Yeah. Like, I think we do have that slight prickishness, um, spikiness in our dressing room. But maybe because we love them so dearly, we don't necessarily interpret it that way. Um, Shaka, of course, yeah, he would be one. Um, but I think one of the things that's encouraging about this group is that they are, you know, they are good guys and we like them and they seem to really get on with each other, which is a massive positive. But I, I don't think they lack an edge. I think it is present. And I, I think we could do with a little bit more of it, maybe. Mm. But I think there are there is some of it present. In I agree. And I think there's a conflation maybe with prickishness and, you know, character. Um, like you can be highly driven, highly motivated, professional, and you want to win every game, but you don't have to be an absolute bastard all the time, right? Yeah, Some exactly. people are like that. Context. Roy Keane, for example, was very driven, wanted to win, highly motivated, and an absolute bastard every single time he stepped out onto the pitch and crossed the line a few times, of course, as we know. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to be that way to demonstrate character or leadership or, or, or you know, willingness to, to scrap for each other and fight for each other on the pitch, you know? Mm. Um, I, am, I am curious to see sort of who steps up in that regard in the absence of Shaka if he goes, because I do think he is a, a big character in the dressing room and all the rest of it, it, it that space that vacuum will inevitably be filled but by who and you know to what extent um you know is is or are those players going to emerge like i think you you've spoken before a little bit about zinchenko and jesus as kind of dressing room leaders and maybe mm -hmm. they become a bit more influential but i also think that that English core that we might have, if you've got Ramsdale, Saka, Smith Rowe, uh, Ben White, Declan Rice, if he comes in, I think that might be another aspect to it as well. And and maybe someone like Declan Rice, even if he is only going to be a new arrival, uh, if that deal goes through, I think the fact that he's come as uh, you know somebody with experience of captaining West Ham, you know, is a kind of a natural not a natural replacement, but, but somebody who would find that kind of thing um, natural to him. You know what I mean? That he will, he will be an influential player, hopefully, but I think he'll also be an influential personality. Yeah, and I think it's no coincidence with, with trying to sign a player who's a captain elsewhere when Shaka is potentially leaving. Mm. I mean, 
you know, the, yeah, we've got a number of captains in the squad. That's something we spoke about a bit last season. Um, we've captained their countries or been captains of previous clubs. I think that's important. But I am, like you, curious to see who will be uh, the first to the fight, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like when a tackle goes in on an Arsenal player that's not okay, you could pretty much guarantee that Shaka would be the first first man there. Sure. Um, sometimes <laughs> to his uh, with disastrous yeah. consequences yeah. on one or two occasions. Um, who will that man be? Next season, mm. I am curious to find out. Like you, I think Zinchenko, yeah, uh, Gabriel Jesus, Big Gabby, I think would be another name I would throw in as who might take on a bit of that mantle. Um, but we will discover, you know, only when there's that vacuum created will certain people step up. For sure, for sure. Um, this is a question, a hypothetical question that I thought was quite interesting from Red Action um, on Twitter. Hypothetical question. If the original rumour of Arteta being appointed had actually gone ahead and the Emery era had never happened, where do you think we would be now in terms of squad building and success? Oof. That's a really good question. My short answer is that I don't think Mikel Arteta would be in charge of Arsenal. Yeah. Interesting. A few people said that in the replies under, you know, I, I, yeah. it was the, it was a poison chalice anyway, kind of thing. It, you know, if not a poison chalice, it was always going to be a huge job for whoever replaced Arsene Wenger. And then, of course, you know, I think it's worth remembering that over the course of Arteta's time here, the structures have changed. Like Unai Emery was the head coach, Mikel Arteta is now the manager, but then he is, I think, better supported by... Edu as sporting director or technical director than Emery was by the people that he had at the club because there was, you know, there was pandemonium and mayhem and uh, a lack of structure at times and power battles and all the rest of it, which weren't conducive to a healthy work environment or a good football team. So those are things that, that I think he would have had to deal with. Um, but my gut feeling is that if he had gone in after Arsene Wenger, even with the best intentions, even with a desire to probably rebuild, because I think the rebuilding aspect of what Arsenal needed to do was obvious, you know, not just under Unai Emery, but before that, I think it would have just chewed him up a little bit and uh, we would be in a different place now. And I'm not sure it would necessarily be a better place. No, I, I tend to agree that I'm not sure he would have survived that. Um, and I think that even if he had, I, I can't really see a scenario where we'd be better off now than we are at this point in time. Mm. And part of the reason for that is that Arsenal were bound by quite a lot of contracts they had with playing staff that restricted what they were able to do with the squad and the speed of the rebuild. Um, and those contracts, you know, largely were kind of set in stone. Mm. So I think that that was in some ways the biggest hindrance to our progress. Um, so I, I don't think we'd be any better off, certainly. And I think there's a chance we'd be worse off because Arteta would have failed and we would have gone another path. And I'm not sure many managers could have elicited uh, 
you know the sort of season we saw last season mm. from, these, from from any Arsenal group. Yeah, I think I think we sort of needed to hit a little bit of a rock bottom without sort of over uh, dramatizing it. I think we had to hit that little bit of a rock bottom, which is where we ended up. Uh, and I, I'm not saying this is Unai Emery's fault, but I think you know that that period, and it maybe includes some of the Arteta period as well when you when you consider how the the first part of his first full season went you know i think that that was included in that and from there y- you have to set more realistic goals for yourself mm-hmm. and for your football club and i think we saw that with the the way we we started um changing our approach to recruitment and and all the rest of it so so there we go. Um, let's have one more before we go, because we've got to get this podcast out. Okay. Gunnar Works says, Goodly morning, gents. What are some activities that you would recommend to replace constantly refreshing Twitter for transfer news updates? <laughs> uh, good question. Well, sun's out now, you know. There's, the, the world's your oyster, surely. Yeah, literally um, anything. Yeah. How are you? Are you sort of keeping your head out of uh, the? I, I suppose you've got a kind of professional obligation. To yes, sort of. But I'm, you know, the window isn't open yet. Uh, I feel quite sanguine, or sanguine is not the. I feel quite relaxed about this window. Yeah. In that, I think the manager and maybe even Edu, if he spoke recently, have made it very, very clear what needs to be done. Mm. Now. I, I don't know that we're going to get exactly everything that we want, but I just feel pretty assured that they know what they want to do. And I also feel assured that the resources are are going to be there for them to do it. My KSE have not, um, you know, closed the checkbook in any way in the last number of years, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, and now we have champions league money and all the rest of it. I feel like we, you know, for all the reasons that we've spoken about, we're going places, we're an attractive destination, we've got a good young manager, a good young team, you know, London, Champions League, Champions League money, all of that stuff. I feel like it's a hugely important window, but I also feel like it could be one of the least complicated windows we have in terms of all the things that we have going for us that make it easier to attract players and uh, and get deals done. So I'm uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty pretty calm, all things considered. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I I feel like we hold more chips this summer than we have for a long time. Mm, you know, chips. Mm, chips. Go for some. Go and have some nice chips. You some know, fish and chips. Fish and chips. What a way to while away the transfer window. Could, like at least seven minutes of a day eating some fish and chips. And then you can spend the rest of the day refreshing on Twitter. There. I, on I strongly advise deleting Twitter off your phone if you really are, um, you know, constantly refreshing all the time. Delete it off your phone. After a couple of days, you don't miss it. So. That must be blissful, yeah. Mm. So yeah. that's one way of dealing with it, yeah. Yeah, but listen, nothing to worry about. It's all in hand. It's going to be fine. We're going to get 100 million in sales, guys. Or 132 million, or 121 million. 122, I've yeah. forgotten what I said now. 122, 122 yeah. 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 Wow. Lovely. Maybe we can even spend a bit more if we get that much money in. Oh, yeah, so, 300 yeah. million we'll spend with that. 322. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, we had better leave it there for now. Get this podcast out to you guys. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for listening. Thanks for being with us. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.